Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platyam 3 And this is Yangus, the legendary bandit. Hey, Yangus, uh, mean to tell you this, I really appreciate you being a good sport and agreeing to do t- uh, this episode with me. Um, okay, well, you know, I was uh, going to say the same thing to you, actually. I mean, I know you've got about as much experience with this as with Dragon Quest music, you know? Mm, you're right. It's about equal. So, thank you, Platy. Okay, so tonight we're going to... I mean, you've done... I, I don't know if you've done the math. I have. It's easily played, what, Dragon Quest games a few thousand hours when you add them all up. And considering, even with my aggressive muting, I mean, I'm still probably listening to the music at least like a quarter or a third of the time. So, I mean, that's probably equal with all my Star Trek watching. Star Trek? Yeah. You know, when you suggested talking about the Genesis device, I thought it was a great opening to talk about arguably the three best Star Trek movies out there. You know, Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4. I mean, if Kirk's ex-wife, Carol Marcus, hadn't invented that Genesis, Genesis transforming device... Those three movie plots wouldn't have been like anything. Um, well, that's a very fascinating insight there, Platy. But I'm afraid you've got the wrong Genesis device. You see, we're going to be talking about the Sega Genesis, uh, the 90s video game console that was the Super Nintendo's main competition back in the day. Sega? But, 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 so we're not going to go over Spock's death? No. Khan? No. Commander Crew? No. No. Uh, uh, humpback whales? Well, I mean, we probably could talk about those, but no, no. Oh, jeez. Well, then, I mean, I, I guess that's fine. I, 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 I was gonna go get mad and tell you all to just get out, get out. And then I was gonna say that I hope you don't live long and prosper. But I guess I'll be the bigger person here. I mean, after all, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few so let's do this um okay well uh, moving right along uh let's welcome our guests for the evening uh please welcome back brurian hello pendy hey how's it going and mattcraft hi okay so now while uh, while matt or platy is um crying in the corner for a little bit about not talking about Star Trek. Let's start off this episode uh, with something a little different. So normally when we do these console episodes, we usually just will jump straight into talking about uh, the different games that we've each picked for, you know, that particular console we're talking about. But this time we decided we'd do something just a little bit differently and kind of talk about how we were all introduced to the Sega Genesis, whether it was when we were younger or when we were you know, a little older, whatever the case might be. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll just go on the list that we have here. So, Platy, how about we start with you? I never played it. Not, <laughs> not once. <laughs> Great story. Get out. Get out. There we go. End Great of episode. Story. That's a, that, I hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks for joining yep. us on uh, the Slime Quest side quest. <laughs> Slime and, Quest and side remember, quest. remember, <laughs> as we always say, we don't use Patreon. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> it's opening and openings like the one you just heard and the insight like I'm going to provide tonight, which is why we don't use Patreon, because, dear <laughs> God, you shouldn't have to pay for that crap. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I was always a Nintendo kid and uh, just barely at that. My parents couldn't have cared less about getting me a video game console or anything. Um, I think I got like Atari from a garage sale for like five bucks at one point when I was young. 
and you know i'd ride around on my bike uh when our neighborhood would do big garage sales and probably pick up games for like a dollar um or something but lo and behold when i got to sixth grade one of my friends got a genesis and like the next day at school he's like i'll sell you my nintendo and all its games for like a hundred dollars and by this time i'd been like mowing my great grandfather's yard every week for like two years and he would always give me like 10 15 bucks so i was a uh, relatively loaded back then so I paid $100, got my Nintendo, and like I really don't recall ever going over to anybody's house and playing this. So, there you go, Platty. Never heard of it. <laughs> okay. Um, what about you, Pendy, since we got you next on the list? Well, well hey, I, I hate to disappoint, but I'm basically in the same boat. <laughs> I, never, I never really played it growing up as well. I, I think I played Sonic once at a relative's house, and that was about it uh, when I was growing up. Uh, myself and all of the neighbor kids were all Nintendo. We all had like NES or Super Nintendo growing up. Uh, my experience playing Sega Genesis games is mostly playing them on other systems uh, through the various collections that they put out over the years. Uh, about 10 years ago, I did buy a Sega Genesis with the CD add-on. It came with a bunch of games and the sequel to Out of This World called Heart of the Alien, which is what I was really interested in at the time because I hadn't played that yet. It was really cheap on eBay, so I went for it. So that's basically my experience with it. Oh, cool. Um, so for myself, uh, I remember uh, when growing up that we did have a Genesis at our house. Um, it was... One that I, I was a console that I never really messed with because as far as like Kid Me was concerned, you know, that was my dad's console while the Nintendo 64 that we got when I was uh, probably about four years old, that that was more of the, you know, the console that I could play on. I never just, I was just one of those kids where it was like, I didn't really, you know, want to mess with it or, you know, break anything or whatever. Uh, I remember my dad had two games for it though. One was uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the original one, and then some Roman soldier game. I can barely remember what the back of the box looked like. I just remember that it had like a Roman soldier guy on the front, like holding up a spear, like, and there was like the sunset. Uh, but anyway, I never messed with it and never really played the Genesis, but it was always something I was curious about, especially as I got older and, you know, like when the Wii came around and they had the virtual console with games from that and everything. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play it until uh, the Sonic uh, Genesis collection on the Xbox 360. I bought that for like. 20 bucks when I was in college. Uh, played it a bit with friends, but I never really messed with it too awful much, other than with like Streets of Rage 2. But where I really got to experience the Genesis library and the system in a, in a way is with the Genesis Mini that came out in about late 2019, if I remember right. It was like the fall 2019. I got that and I was really excited for it because it seemed like it was going to be, you know, really high class. Um, like mini plug-and-play console, kind of like the Nintendo Entertainment System Mini or the Super Nintendo Mini that Nintendo had put out the last few years. And it was a good way to experience uh, the system and play some of the games because there's like 42 different games on it, a lot of licensed ones, a lot of Sega, you know, like the classics from them. And, you know, that really is a system that I've really enjoyed checking out. And I've actually plugged it in for tonight's episode to kind of get a refresher. And it's like, wow, I remember how, you know, how much fun this was. So, yeah, most of my experience was a little bit later in life because, you know, I just didn't really grow up playing it, even though we had one at the house. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've enjoyed checking it out, though. It's been fun checking out the library of games. Uh, let's see. What about you, Matt Craft? Well, I was more of a Super Nintendo and Nintendo kid growing up. My Mima was a manager at Kmart, so she was able to get everything for almost dirt cheap. And, uh... When I got a Sega Genesis, it was literally only for Sonic the Hedgehog back in the day. 
I remember going to Video Warehouse, kind of like Blockbuster, and getting the occasional rental for the Genesis. Because, you know, like I said, Super Nintendo over Genesis. But uh, the games I'll be talking about, Beyond Oasis and Fantasy Star 4, are the main ones that I remember getting from up there. (laughs) I remember Video Warehouse. It's kind of funny. I never actually beat Fantasy Star 4 until I started doing emulation, and I'll get into that later. <laughs> okay, what about you, Brewery, and are you going to join the didn't play it because we're a Nintendo Kid fan club? Wrong. <laughs> I'm the other side of the coin for you guys tonight. I wanted a Super Nintendo, and my parents got me a Genesis for Christmas and you know, oh, er, in the early to mid-90s because you know, I wanted to play uh, Super Mario World back when it was just known as you know, potentially just Super Mario Brothers 4. You know, there, there was all speculation about the neighborhood about it, and I was really excited about it. Then we learned it was a Super Nintendo game. I asked my parents for it for Christmas. Oh, I want to play the new Mario game. Got a Genesis instead. And when it, with my Genesis came Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Right. And I played a lot of the really early Genesis games, like, you know, a lot of the really well-known titles, like, all the Sonic games, um, the uh, Fantasy Stars, uh, even um, that that game that Pindy really likes, the uh, Another World, I think it was called. Uh, out of This World. Out of This World. But it is called something else uh, outside of North America. I just can't yeah. And I played that until I got a Super Nintendo in like 1997. So, yeah, I was I was the Genesis kid growing up because hmm. oh, cool. I wasn't able to get a Super Nintendo. Hmm. I, I can kind of vaguely remember from when I was, like, this is when I was, like, four or five. So, you, you know, memory's kind of faulty there. But I remember when I would go over to uh, one friend's house, I think that she had a Genesis, if I remember right. Because I think we played a little bit of Sonic the Hedgehog 1 together. I think it was more so I just watched her play it because it's like, well, I'm used to, you know, playing Mario on, like, my grandparents' Super Nintendo or playing, you know, Banjo-Kazooie and stuff on my N64. So I'm, I'm, I'll just watch you play. <laughs> yeah, so I played the crap. Vector Man was another one of those I that I just we had a we had a very like local it was family owned rental place and they would do like a, a video game you know two nights of a video game for four dollars so we'd go there all the time and pick up the the genesis titles and and rent them for a couple of days so i tried i tried a pretty large amount of the genesis library due to that nice hmm. very cool well that's it for this episode everybody thanks for listening thanks guys <laughs> nice <laughs> Well, (laughs) okay. Well, now that we've all talked about that, and since um, now we're going to get back to the usual format that we have, as you can tell, we rehearsed these very, very well, as you can tell, our dear listeners. Yesterday, it was flawless. I don't know what's happening tonight. Yeah, I know. It's because we're actually recording it now. You know, yeah, yeah, these are these are sure. all re, these are all rehearsed. Just so you folks at home listening, listening know, we rehearse all this. But unfortunately, sometimes there's a few little goof ups, like how last time Platty got his surprise nickname towards the end of an episode. Oh my god! Was... <laughs> yep, yep, things like that happen. We're only human. But anyway, we should probably get talking about the games that we all picked out. So it looks like you, Mister Pendy, are the first one up so tell us about your number one pick on your list of games and so formal mr pendy okay yes <laughs> i was gonna call uh, you the artist formerly known as pendy but i'm like ah, let's just go with mr pendy oh uh, that's good that's good 
<laughs> so I'm I'm actually going to uh, break the rules right off the bat and uh, cheat a little bit. I'm going to be talking about a pair of two beat em up beat em up games for the uh, Sega Genesis, and they actually both have the same lead designer, uh, Mikado Uchida. Uh, first one I'm talking about is uh, Altered Beast, which debuted in arcades in 1988 with a uh, Sega Genesis port. Not long after that, uh, then there's uh, Golden Axe, which debuted in arcades May of 1989, but was soon ported to the Sega Genesis in December of 1989 in Japan and North America. Uh, with Altered Beast, you are chosen by Zeus to rescue his kidnapped daughter Athena from the underworld demon Neph. You can collect power-ups that buff up your character until the final transformation until the final transformation into a magical beast, which can be a wolf, a dragon, or a tiger. Uh, there's other ones as well, but uh, hence the name of the title. Uh, in Golden Axe, you <clears throat> battle against the evil Death Adder who has kidnapped the king and his daughter and wields, guess what, the magical golden axe. You can choose between a, a dwarf, a barbarian, or an Amazon to take on Death Adder's evil army. You can also collect magical potion bottles to build up your spell gauge and unleash powerful spells that will hit everyone at the board at once. Uh, I did not realize until recently that there are actually two sequels to this game as well. Uh, so I have that on the Sega Genesis collection for the Switch, so I'll be checking those out uh, in, in the near future. A lot of my experiences with these games are actually uh, when they were uh, in the in the arcades uh, when I was growing up because I did oh, not cool. have a, a Sega Genesis, but I have played the the Sega Genesis ports to the various Sega collection games um, more recently as well through the one on the Switch I just mentioned. I think I have the one for the PlayStation Two as well. I think that's where I got introduced to a lot of Sega Genesis games. Uh, in particular, when it comes to the arcades, I remember finding Altered Beast at a uh, local state fair as a young child and being blown away by how cool it looked at the time, way back in the, probably, I think, the early 90s. Uh, fun fact, Altered Beast was much more popular overseas than it was in Japan, and it actually was the first game used as a combo pack with the Sega Genesis in America, but was later replaced with Sonic over concerns of zombies and magic not playing well in the Bible Belt part of the USA. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yep, uh, I got a story for that one. Oh, sweet. Uh, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I actually got a copy of Altered Beast for the Sega Genesis, and um, it wasn't the dual pack one, but I did get a copy of it, and I think I got it for Christmas from my aunt and uncle, and I open it up, and my mom is immediately, we're taking this back right now, and you're getting something else, and that's how I got, that's how I got Sonic 1. I, we had to go back to Toys oh, R Us. Yeah. They returned it, and we purchased a copy of Sonic 1 in lieu of uh, Altered Beast because my mom did not, not like the cover for Altered Beast. <laughs> I guess I, I guess the six-pack on that, that Beast Man was just too strong. <laughs> She's like, you can shred cheese on that. No! <laughs> She's fanning herself. But, um, that was, that oh, was I got one the vapors. Of... That was one of two times that happened with uh, with the Sega Genesis title in my house, getting it for Christmas. Because <laughs> the other one was the Genesis port of uh, Street Fighter 2, which was Championship Edition. Basically, the same thing happened. It's a fighting game. You can't play that. Take it back. And I got. Oh, it actually had blood in the Sega yeah. version. Yeah, yeah. To, to, yeah. Like to be fair, looking on, I have my Genesis Mini on right now. It says the it has that game on there. Funny enough, brewery, and it says that it's rated MA13. You were too young, boy. <laughs> I honestly never had that problem. My meemaw just let me play whatever, including Diablo when I was like 10. 
<laughs> you know, yeah, I forget uh, that some of these games were arcades, arcade games originally. Because I think, oh yeah, if I if I remember correctly, when we went to like one of the like a school event thing in elementary school, I think they had an arcade that actually did have the Altered Beast machine in it. Like it was part of like the retro stuff that they had. I, I, oh, I want to say it did because I remember when I played the Genesis version of Altered Beast and I saw like the first world boss. It's like I remember one of the kids in my class fighting that guy. I remembered that. <laughs> I uh, for Altered Beast, I actually played that one through many, many, many times on an arcade machine at the local skating rink in the uh, early '90s. Nice. So uh, I played the Genesis version years later, and you know, I it's. It's very different. It's it's really neat because in the arcade version that's not in the Genesis port of Altered Beast, the end credits actually show like extra things that don't happen in the the home console version. Like for example, the whole game was like depicted as like a staged film production. Like it was like all a play, kind of like oh funny, uh, Mar- like kind of like Mario Brothers Three was. You know, it's it's a play, it's a stage play or something. That's how it was done on the arcade version of this game. But that the that ending wasn't in the home console version of it. Oh, okay, yeah, I read there's a cool. bunch of differences. I think like the Super Nintendo version had like a like you could turn into a shark and all sorts and had different things like that too. Different beast. But yeah, not not to uh, cut you off anymore. No, that was actually the uh, the end of end of my section. I was actually going oh. to ask, like, hey, what's everybody else's experiences for these <laughs> games? So that was perfect. So with Golden perfect Axe, uh, oh, Golden Axe was another thing of I played that one a ton at a local pizza place on the the arcade version. I played very little of the actual Sega Genesis version of it, but I probably pumped fifty bucks into that arcade cabinet for Golden Axe. Well, that's not hard to do either for that game. Yeah. I remember doing the oh, same no. kind of thing. It is. It is. <laughs> those the they they have a name. They had a name for them. They were quarter munchers. Yep. Oh yeah. Even two even two players like with two guys that you know knew what they were doing. Like you could yeah. would die very easily in both of those games. Oh yeah. That, and that's what made those game, <laughs> those two games fun: Altered Beast and Golden Axe. Is the fact that they were multiplayer and it was a lot of fun to play with other people. You never felt like you had enough uh, magic potions in Golden Axe. Nope. <laughs> I remember when you hear you little dwarf. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you, had to, you had to punch the little dwarf to get the potions and the healing things, and you had to chase them around. It was always yeah. fun and or frustrating. I, I always hated the game too. If you if you kind of hung around too long before moving, because the game will be like, "Hey, keep going, keep going." If you if you stayed in place for too long, it would just start spawning enemies out of the ground. Like skeletons would just start coming up out of the ground to punish you for just standing around. Oh, <laughs> yeah, what was it? I think Golden Axe. That was one of the games that uh, one of my buddies and I tried to beat in college, and we were we we had so much fun whenever the little dwarf guys would show up because we were just we would start going like <laughs> you know making like stupid voices for them as they'd run around trying to catch them. But man, when you get to those later stages of Golden X, it is super hard not to die. It is dude, so hard. Dude, those games are, those two games specifically are just brutal. They are brutally hard. Yeah. Yeah, because you got like, especially in Golden X, you have like bosses that become regular enemies and they still hit you like a boss. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. I will have to say. One of my favorite things from uh, playing uh, Altered Beast on the Genesis Mini and the other collections, I love the digitized voice acting that they have. And it sounds, you know, it just sounds so retro, but it sounds so cool even now. Or like when you first start up uh, Altered Beast, it's like, rise from your grave. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if that really translates over to the the mic, but basically, it sounds like somebody's speaking through their hands almost. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. was, that's what I was trying to emulate. In no, case that especially, it sounds great on the arcade version, but on the Genesis version, it sounds like the dude's trying to talk through a muffled r- wet rag. <laughs> I found that to be very very funny, but also very charming too. It's just like, oh, you gotta you gotta love the old style of how they did that sort of yeah. thing. You know, had a bit crush it, you know. <laughs> So you got any more for Serpent? Or is that it? No, that's it. Unless anybody oh, else has oh, okay. uh, any other experiences with those games. I, I've logged many hours in both. I never actually owned them. I had friends that owned them, and I would just constantly borrow them. Because Genesis games were expensive. Because there was no standard on video game prices back then. So one game would be 40 when it came out, and then another one would be like 65 right. Sports games are really bad about that. Well, I, well, I mean, that was... That was kind of the same case with Super Nintendo. I mean, well, no, yeah. no I take that back. I, no, I don't they, remember they're... Super Nintendo. I was, I was thinking Nintendo because I remember Dragon Dragon Warrior games, especially like three and four, were like no, sixty-five, the, the... seventy bucks. It was expensive. back in that back Holy in that era, there, was, there was no standard yeah. on there was no like standard price of like fifty bucks or something. Because I remember a couple of sports games on the Super Nintendo. I, I saw them at like a media play, and it would be like. Mario would be here for forty dollars, and then like Madden, Madden like ninety five was like sixty five dollars, and you're like, Damn. what? Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take the Mario, please. <laughs> I've just really got to echo on the voice acting part, especially for the Genesis in general. It was just so neat hearing, like. For example, Rise from Your Grave and the other stuff, especially with uh, Vector Man, hearing the robot go all right all the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did did we lose Matt or did we lose Platty? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I actually I'm just, like, I... waiting for the transition. <laughs> oh, you might have lost me because you guys all went quiet for a second. So, <laughs> okay. I, I sorry. I. <laughs> I wasn't queued up for the transition, so. Uh, but uh, if we're finished with Pendy, then uh, we'll, we'll move on down the list to another beat 'em up because uh, you know that's what we got here on our list tonight. So Yangus, uh, why don't you fill yourself with rage, go to the streets, and take it away? I'll do it twice over too. How about that? Twice, <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, first game that I wanted to talk about was, and funny enough, since we were just talking about beat 'em ups, we're going to keep it on going. I want to talk about Streets of Rage 2. Um, this one was one that, uh, let's see, it came out in 1992 and was a pretty big leap up from what uh, Streets of Rage 1 originally did. So this was one that I actually played a lot in college with a buddy of mine, Taylor. And shout outs to you, Taylor, if you happen to listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, he he and I were both in the concert band and we would hang out at my apartment sometimes before our concert band practices. And when we were going through some of the stuff that I had in my apartment, he saw that I had the Genesis collection for the uh, Xbox 360, and he asked if uh, Streets of Rage 2 was on it. Well, we put it in, we tried it out, and we he pretty much made me a big fan of the series because of that, because we played this a ton. So, uh, Streets of Rage 2, you know, obviously it's a follow-up to, spoiler alert, Streets of Rage 1. I'm sure that's very <gasps> I know, thank you. I was hoping this would do that. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I was not prepared for that. Sorry. <laughs> that's a, that's okay. I'm, <laughs> thank you for helping out with that, everybody. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. But I got um, you. okay. So Streets of Rage Two uh, had a lot of gameplay improvements and just some uh, nice new additions and features from the original game. So first off, you had four playable characters, uh, two of which were brand new. One was uh, a wrestler named Max, and there was a little kid named Skate. Not and just Max. 
Max Thunder. There we go, Max Thunder. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> I loved Max Thunder. Sorry, continue. No, you're good. You're good. So with the uh, new characters, you actually had some different options to play the game through. Uh, this was a game that you could play with one or two people, and you guys could pick, uh, you know, you have four characters to choose from. So each playthrough could also be a little different, too, because all of the characters have their different strengths and weaknesses. So, like, for example, you know, Axel, who's the lead character, he's kind of your more, a little more balanced, but a little more stronger. You have Max Thunder, who is your powerhouse character, really slow, but he can really take a beating and he can dish out the damage. Uh, you have Skate, the little kid, who is able to, you know, move around really quickly. Can't do a whole lot of damage, but, you know, he's able to uh, zip his way through opponents pretty quick, you know, to avoid them. And you had, I forget her name, I think it's Maria, if I remember right, uh, the female character. She's, she's pretty well balanced for the most part. I noticed that she can't do quite as much damage as Axel, but at the same time, she can also move faster than him. So I think it was, have... I think her name was uh, Blaze. Oh, Blaze, thank you. That's, that's my uh, my very old waifu, yeah, Blaze. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was Axel and Blaze, and then Max and Skate were the new ones. Okay, thank you. I don't know why I thought her name was Maria. Anyway, so, this game had a lot of, you know, had a lot of tweaks and balances compared to the first game. First Streets of Rage, even on the Genesis version, was pretty difficult, but with Streets of Rage 2, things were evened out a lot more. You still had sort of that difficulty spike as you got towards the end of the game because regular enemies would become, or excuse me, uh, bosses from earlier in the game would become regular enemies you had to deal with. But the nice thing is that you also have a lot of uh, customization options for difficulty. You know, you can change how many lives you have, uh, what difficulty you want to start on. And unlike the first game, because I did have the chance to play it after playing so much Streets of Rage 2, Streets of Rage 1 is one of those games where, kind of like how we were talking about with the, the previous beat-em-ups, how, you know, they're kind of quarter muncher it felt like that even when playing the genesis version like every time that i've played streets of rage 2 i've never felt like that even when the difficulty starts to ramp up towards the end of the game so it's nice that they were able to you know make the game still have that in difficulty increase but nothing where it was like you know super punishing against the player even if you're playing multiplayer or by yourself uh i really enjoyed this game's soundtrack which is courtesy of yuzo koshiro uh this is often considered one of his best soundtracks not only from the streets of rage series but from koshiro fans in general and two of my favorite tracks are the amusement park and the baseball diamond songs from those particular stages and overall i just really remember having a lot of fun with this game in college and i've loved revisiting it through the genesis mini and through the other collections that i've gotten of genesis games like on my switch it's one of those games that you can just pick up and play and even if you only play it for like 20 30 minutes or just try and beat the game you can come back to it you know like a day or two later and you can pick another character and you can just have a lot of fun with it. It's one of those games that I find is good to just sort of, you know, put on in the background while you're kind of just trying to relax or listen to something. Because it's just, you know, it's good, wholesome fun. Oh, maybe not wholesome because you're beating up people. But you know what I mean. You know, it's just kind of good, relaxing fun just to kind of, you know, take it's, your mind off things. It's one of those turn your brain off kind of games. Yeah, basically. But, you know, it's a lot of fun. And you have a lot of different options for uh, fighting opponents because you have like your standard moves that you can push with the B button on the, well, just going off a of Genesis controller here. You can do like your special moves with the A button where you can like charge forward or you can stand still and do like a flurry of attacks. And everybody has different options for that, too, which is really a, a nice little touch, too, for if you want to do replays and, you know, try out the different characters. I will say uh, before turning it over to you guys here, I will say that one of my favorite things that I'm sure they didn't mean for it to happen. But if you ever play as Axel, 
just next time that you use his um charging attack where he will like you'll you have, like you double tap left or right and you push the attack button and he does like the flame uppercut just pay attention to how it sounds because both me and my friend taylor agreed it sounds like he's saying jurassic park even though he's not saying that at all <laughs> <laughs> for, for some reason we always heard him saying jurassic park <laughs> targeted advertising before that even became a thing right on <laughs> It was, it's all it was a plan with Steven Spielberg. He just loved the first game so much. <laughs> but um, what are your guys' experiences with Streets of Rage 2 or just the Streets of Rage series as a whole? So I, I played through all three of them on the Genesis and a fair amount. Yeah, like you were saying, the first one is is br- like Altered Beast and Golden Axe. It is brutally difficult just, just because it's the nature of, you know, Retro game hard, as uh, they like to say these days, because things were very unforgiving. I did like what they did with Streets of Rage 2 with the inclusion of the two new characters that came in. Because I always just loved saying his name, Max Thunder, (laughs) whenever I would pick him and everything. No, but yeah, you didn't have a lot of variations with your attacks in the first game. But in the second game, they, you know, they had the basic attacks from the first game. And then I like how they all had these like new blitz attacks, like you were mentioning where you double tap uh, a direction before attacking. And um, they had this police car attack from the first game, if I remember right. Uh, But uh, that was replaced by, I think, the blitz attacks, because I don't remember them being in Streets of Rage 2. Um, But I also think that whenever you did those blitz attacks, it took away from your health, right? Yeah, if, if if the attack did connect against an enemy, it would take off a little bit of health from you. Yeah, because that's the balance of using those. Because otherwise, you would just sit there spamming them all the time. Because they are they are super powerful attacks. Yep. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what game came up with that. Because that kind of became a staple for a lot of beat 'em ups, where they'd have like a special attack that was very powerful, but all would also like kind of drain your health bar a little bit when you used yeah. it. But yeah, I played at least one and two with this, and uh, it, that's why I knew her name because I'd use Blaze Lock. She would flip around, do a lot of kick attacks and stuff like that. I always enjoyed playing her character though i did play with the other characters as well but yeah it's a fun a fun uh, series of games yeah i just pulled up the game on my i have my genesis mini on here and yeah i don't yeah it looks like on the select screen like uh blaze is the pretty much your like well-balanced character because she has a two in every stat on here so yeah i mean she's she'd be a pretty good pick if you, you know when you're a new player to the game yeah oh there there was one thing i did like about the story of streets of rage 2 because i played this in i think like 93 or 94 a, a few years after it came out but um in the first game, you defeat the mysterious Mr. X, oh, and <laughs> with, you know, with these kinds of games, uh, you know, constantly, like, well, like with Mega Man, the return of Wily, the return of Wily, that kind of happened with Streets of Rage 2, because you think that you've got a new big bad going on, and then you find out, Mr. X has returned, and you're just like, as a kid, you're sitting there like, oh, that son of a gun, I'm going to get him again. <laughs> yeah. I remember when trying to, so... When my buddy uh, Taylor and I would try and beat this game uh, before we go to concert band uh, on the nights we would play it, we I remember one time we did get up to the Mr. X stage, and we were like, oh, we're finally going to beat it. We're finally going to beat him. Well, he has a subordinate that you have to fight before you can actually fight Mr. X when you get to the top of the elevator. Oh, my God. He kicked our asses so hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love. I forget his name, but his name it's was like Shiva. The, yeah, he was like like the ultimate like warrior samurai uh, ninja sort. Like he, he was he was almost like like all of the different kind of enemy types rolled into yeah. one almost. 
he was crazy but it, it was fun re- it was fun playing this game because we would always pick different characters and you know try different combinations of stuff and we'd also find that if you got too close to your um uh the other player you could accidentally throw them and do stuff to them <laughs> yeah yeah that was the thing is there was a little bit of friendly fire uh yeah but he had a headband, so you knew he was serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, he could true. talk, so that was uh, he, he was pretty difficult. That's true. If, if Street Fighter has taught me anything, it's when you come up against a martial artist who puts a headband on, they're very serious. Very serious. <laughs> well, if we're uh, done getting serious about that, maybe we're uh, ready to move on to our serious person, uh, because there's a serious word in the title of this next game. There is. I mean, it's a labyrinth game, but it's a fatal labyrinth game. Ooh. It's not just any labyrinth. This one could kill you. Brian, would you uh, like to tell us about some near-death experiences in the fatal labyrinth? It is the fatal labyrinth. So this game was uh, this game was made and published by Sega. Like, this was an, a completely in-house game. It was actually a uh, game that was originally available on Japan's Sega MegaNet multiplayer gaming service in, the er- in like, the early 90s, but they later remade it for the Sega Genesis. Um, it came out in April of 91 over here. It probably came out late the previous year in Japan. But um, as the story goes, Dragonia, the castle of doom, has been resurrected. The ghouls from the castle have stolen the Holy Goblet, which is the source of light for the world. And without it, the world will be ever, will forever be trapped in darkness. This is where you, Tricar, the hero, comes in to save the day. You volunteer yourself to retrieve the Holy Goblet from Dragonia. Many perils await you inside the castle. That's the story. That's it. <laughs> So you are a very nondescript hero who who said you know who when the castle appears much like Dracula's castle in Castlevania, you go I'll will go save the thing, and the uh, it's <laughs> that's a great voice for that <laughs> yeah I'll go I'll go I'll go save it I'll do it I'll do it and you um <laughs> you go into the castle with no more than the shirt on your back and a starter weapon. Like, the town that is right next to where the castle appears doesn't even go, here's some armor for you. They just go, well, when are you going? So this is a mystery dungeon game. There weren't a lot of these at the time. In fact, I can't remember when um, Torneko no Daiboken came out, but it was probably around the same time. I probably should have looked that up before. But When did uh, this one come out? This one came out in April of 91. So I think this com- is even earlier than... Um, Dragon Quest Mystery Dungeon. Oh, that <laughs> seems it, like it. But it is like like I said, it is a mystery dungeon game, so <clears throat> it's a 30-floor mystery dungeon. Procedurally generated. You enter the cave with, like I said, nothing more than the shirt on your back and a starter weapon. The HUD system on screen tracks a few things, like your level, your rank, your health points, your hunger gold power and armor it's all pretty straightforward except for two of the items on that list which is your hunger and gold so you know if you've played a mystery dungeon game you kind of know what a hunger counter is of it can Mm -hmm. be you know anywhere you know depending on how the system works most most things do it now just zero to 100 and you eat stuff to keep your hunger up otherwise you start losing health and you die well in this one it only keeps track of 10 so it counts down to zero and once you hit zero, you die. There's no draining of health. 
Also, if your hunger is full and you eat food, you overeat and you die. But the food Ooh. that you find, the foods that food items that you find on the floor don't tell you how much they refill because it's not something like you pick it up into your inventory. Um, or you pick it up into your inventory, but it doesn't give you a, hey, this this will fill one counter or two counters. You just eat it and hope it hope for the best. So if you're sitting at like an eight or a nine and you eat and it trips you over ten. It'll just kill you. You actually die from overeating. <laughs> Bad luck. Damn. Okay. The other thing is that gold actually has... It doesn't matter in this game, except to make your tombstone look better when you die. That's it. <laughs> That's it. You, you, you would think, though, that if you died with a lot of gold, the people that dragged your body out of that dungeon would have stolen it off your dead body and thrown you into an unmarked pit to wait for the next hero to try their luck in the tower. Oh, also, the higher your level is, the more people show up at your funeral at the end. So if you have a lot of gold and a lot of levels, a lot of people show up. Otherwise, they don't care. <laughs> they just want my stuff. <laughs> but uh, much like uh, any other Mystery Dungeon game, uh, it has like a ver veritable bevy of items that you can find as you work your way from room to room. And um, items can have curses on them. So, you know, if you pick something up, it may not be, be a good idea to use that, like, sword or that cane that you just picked up off the floor until you can get it properly identified using the proper items to do so. Um, the monsters that move around as well. Also, you know, just like, like a regular Mr. Dungeon game, as you move, they move. So that's how you do your battle. You just you do the old bump and grind in each other on a grid-based system. Um... The fun thing about this game is, just like Golden Axe, if you take too long on a floor, if you're just kind of wandering about trying to either look at all the rooms to see what everything is, or you're just slow, all of the all of the enemies on the floor will respawn if you take too long. So well, This definitely sounds mystery dungeon-y. Yeah. Yep. Um, you're also, thankfully, even though it's 30 floors, and I've mentioned death and everything, you're granted checkpoints in the game. So every fifth floor, you're given a checkpoint. So that if you die, you'll go back to the last checkpoint. So that that does kind of help out a little bit. So it's not kind of a one and done deal. It it gives you a little bit of leeway, but uh, it truly is a fatal labyrinth. Because I've had I've had some procedurally generated labyrinths where I go into a room, and the entire floor is a single room with twenty monster units on the floor. I'm like, the I'm monster den. I'm boned. Yeah, there are monster dens in there. So if you haven't given this game a shot before, I say give it a try. It's a lot of fun, and it's available on pretty much any of those Genesis collections that they release. I, I think I have it on Steam now. I had a cartridge of it way, way back in the day, but it's gone. It's gone. Long gone. <laughs> you may like it, Platy. Give it a shot. So I did look it up. So that this has been out a couple of years before uh, the Mystery Dungeon, but... Uh... Well, Mystery Dungeon kind of gave a name to a whole series. Now there yeah. are definitely roguelikes out there before that. So or, or this, rogue. This would be considered I mean, named more, after rogue. So yeah, this would be more considered a roguelike, but it has the Mystery Dungeon trappings before Mystery Dungeon became kind of a concrete genre. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a natural hate towards food mechanics, so I, I definitely will not try this game in the future. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> it it can be pretty brutal because that's what happened to me. Is uh, I remember that happening. Of I picked up food and I was just like, I'm at you know I'm at seven on my food counter. I've got food in my inventory, but I need to pick this item up, and I've got this food. I'll just eat this food instead of just dropping it to pick up the item. And it was just like. You overate and killed yourself. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, what? Oh, that would that would piss me off to no end. I'd be like, oh, 
go <laughs> I'll just throw the game at the wall. No. <laughs> Your bam. guy actually says, I'm stuffed. And then, bam. <laughs> but it's a, it's a fun game. Uh, that's This is one of those like Sega-developed and published games that I never hear people talk about. Because I think it was just mm-hmm. way too early in the life cycle of the Genesis. Because most people didn't start coming on until you know the Sonic games and after. Yeah, I can never say that I've heard about this game until I happen to get some of the you know different collections that are out there. I remember playing this game a little bit on that um, Xbox 360 one that I had, but I never. I think what it was is I got up to like the second or the third floor. I ended up dying, and it was just like, eh, you know what? I played a little bit of this. I'll move on to something else. But yeah, that's always wanted, I've always wanted to come back to it though. So if if you're not fam- if you're not kind of familiar with the gameplay, it just seems really difficult. Uh, I was very drawn to it because I liked the way that the uh, sp- the tile sets were done and all how all the sprites looked and everything. Mm-hmm. But it is it is not a game that you can just turn your brain off and play. You've got to pay attention to what you're doing. Interesting. But I'm I'm all about procedurally generated dungeons and stuff like that. So this game has always been up my alley. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, you know your your title had the word fatal in it. Uh, the next game, the one I'm going to talk about was quite fatal um maybe it shouldn't have been it, it probably should not have been but uh to me and my limited capacity of playing older games uh <laughs> it, it definitely had a lot more deaths than i thought so when we came up with this episode idea about a month ago and i uh, one of the first things i did was write that uh intro uh knowing how much my uh co-host here loves the whole star trek series and everything about it so <laughs> it's true the, like the, it is the day i wrote that intro i was like you know what i bet there was a star trek game out there this is like 90s this had to be uh some star trek game out there oh yeah the, uh, genesis and yeah and the brewery and was like yeah there's a couple actually yeah so i did you go with I, I went with star trek the next generation and the echoes from the past Okay, yeah. hold, on, hold on. Before you start talking, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, to, go take a nap for a little bit. I'll see you guys in like <laughs> like five ten minutes. Okay. That's about how long I played the game. So oh, perfect, <laughs> perfect. I'll be timed perfectly. <laughs> let, let me recount all of my details. So uh, speaking of echo, <laughs> speaking of echoes of the past here, um, gosh, when I first started podcasting with RPG Backtrack on uh rpgamer.com like three years ago i I did a couple episodes on a couple games that they had in the pipelines they were going to do i'm like oh i played that oh i played that oh i played that and i liked it so much that they had one in december like somebody on staff was really excited about this game called starflight and wanted to do an episode on it but he was the only one who played it and i'm like oh what the heck it's like 99 cents on gog i'll buy it i'll play it holy cow this was like a 1980 maybe like 84 or something uh wide open space kind of exploration i don't even know if it was an rpg but you'd go out explore worlds get some money come back upgrade your ship kind of thing and i I gave it like five hours and i had a whole laundry list of things all the dumb ways that i died in the game and that's all i talked about on the podcast um this guy's like remembering a game from his youth i was like yeah i played it two weeks ago i died this way and this way and this way and this way and uh, Star Trek The Next Generation is pr- was pretty much like that. Um, 
it, it starts out, you've got to go to a planet and rescue a scientist from the Romulans. And I think I played for about 30 minutes, about five or six times. I beamed good old Will Riker down to the planet because you could pick from a whole bevy of characters to beam down and you could take down like four people but you only controlled one and the other three just stood around like just waiting for the romulans to shoot them um yeah it kind of had it's... a kind of had like an isometric gameplay uh to it mm -hmm. yeah in part it was bridge commander part it was that isometric walking around the world mm -hmm. you had when you got in ship battles you go to a little screen and have little dot matrix ship battles all over the place um it's a very it's a very slow game oh yes so i i put a few hours into this um sorry yangus it wasn't five to ten minutes but that may be how much progress <laughs> in the game i made in five to ten minutes um but man i'd go down to that planet it took about four tries before i figured out how to accurately shoot my phaser and, you know, just like in the real Star Trek, you had to shoot your phaser and hold it on them for about 10 seconds until they actually died. Because, you know, yeah. that's a thing. Um, so while the Romulans are like running around all fast and shooting back at me, I was like, I, I couldn't even find it like a good place to hide. No matter what I did, I was getting like totally injured. Just and zapped. I, yep. I thought it was funny because you'd end up back on the in uh, what is it? Sick Bay with Dr. Crusher over you. And sometimes you'd make it. They're like, oh, it's going to be a, quite a recovery, but I think this person will make it. And sometimes it'd just be like, oh, this character died. Can't use them again. <laughs> you'd like to beat them on the planet again. Like, let's try this again. So I, I finally got through that after quite a few tries. And I think once I made it to the next planet that you, were, you got some... Uh, got hailed and gosh actually figuring out how to go warp to another planet was an interesting trip through the menu system because you could go to a bunch of different places on the bridge and go to comms go to long range sensors and whatnot and i think uh somebody had like the entire uh i think operations had like the entire help menu in there and explained everything about all of it but i mean it was almost like an old pc game there was just pages upon pages upon pages of stuff you could read yeah that that, that came with was very lore heavy if i remember right you could sit uh -huh. there and you could sit there in the bridge and just go through the computer oh yeah so the computer what you're saying is it's the dark souls of trek games then it's just filled with lore i guess i mean it kind of reminded me of another game i played recently um what since we're talking sega i played the saga what's was uh saga frontier where yangus had to tell me <laughs> where to find the help menu and let me tell you that help menu was about as helpful and about as long as uh, Star Trek's menus were. <laughs> but I, I, what got me is I could never win a single ship battle. I would get encountered by the Romulans all the time, and it went about as well on the planet. Like I could finally figure out how to like rotate my shields or to at least turn the ship. But I think only once did I destroy a ship, and then before I got to the next planet, another ship intercepted me. It's like my goodness. So. Uh, you know, yeah, the, I died about every way possible here in the game. You know what the cruddiest thing about that was, though, is in those ship battles, you could receive damage in such a way that you would, you would be unable to beam down for missions. I remember that happening to me a couple of oh. times. Oh yeah, because there was you had resources. <laughs> there was a menu with like resources, which like think about it as the number of man hours you could have to fix things. And yeah, things would get damaged and like completely inoperable, and you'd have to assign 
the cruise or whatever. I mean, it was just filling up a bar, but you could then see your resource bar go down. But yeah, you could fill up the bar to fix things or get that operational again. Um, it was a, it was a few hours of interesting, interesting things. I mean, I think maybe in the 90s had I played that, I would have stuck with it a lot more, probably because I would have paid $60 for it. Um <laughs> And been like, screw this! I'm going to learn how to play and play and well, play. Here's, play and here's play. the. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think that's a perfect encapsulation of my two plus hours of game time, and like ten minutes of progress. <laughs> well, here's the question then that I was just about to ask you: Did you have more fun playing it than you did Saga Frontier? <laughs> mm-hmm. That that is a that is an interesting question. I, I would have to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I would say the frustration level was the same. Okay. It's just not quite as much frustration, basically, because you have something familiar. (laughs) At least I was like, oh, look, this picture of Picard looks really nice. And oh, look at Data. And oh, I can go down an away mission with Riker. That's cool. There you go. (laughs) It wasn't like. Uh, it wasn't like, yay, blue, yay, red. <laughs> but it, it, the, the graphics were pretty cool. I mean, they, they, it, it looked were, real nice. They, either version, because this one was also on the Super... It's weird. They had a Super Nintendo counterpart to it, but it was it was basically the same game, just Super Nintendo graphics instead of Genesis graphics. Mm. What year did it come out, just out of curiosity? I think it was 94? Okay, so that at that point, then they would have... Both systems would have had, you know, they people would have figured out how to work the graphic systems pretty well then. Yeah, that's cool. It was a 94, yes. So, yeah, I don't have much more to say about it because that is about all I got in the game after, you know, death number 10. It was like, you know what, this is... Uh, You've done your research. I got no skills. <laughs> I've done my research and I got no skills to show for it. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of someone who's done a lot of research and uh, probably has a hell of a lot more skills than me, Matt Craft give you a chance to uh get up on your soapbox and uh talk about the genesis a bit and your first game well let's see a lot of you started playing with games like altered beast and streets of rage and sonic the hedgehog i got started the same way but as it came down the way in the late 90s when my Genesis was in a box in the closet, Mima got a shiny new compact. And with it, she got me Sega Smash Pack 1, 2, and 3. That got me started back on Fantasy Star. Fantasy Star 2 was with it. And uh, come to find out that over the years that followed, Sega embraced... E- console and pc based emulation like nutty they kept releasing collection after collection after collection and eventually i was finally able to beat fantasy star 4 on i think it was the gamecube version of the sega genesis collection and speaking of fantasy star 4 that's the first game i'm going to talk about Released in the U.S. in 95, Fantasy Star 4 is, in my opinion, the quintessential turn-based RPG. It starts off like a regular fantasy RPG. You're a bounty hunter with a partner. And as the game goes along, it goes from fantasy to a mixture of fantasy and sci-fi, where from the get-go, you're fighting biologically created monsters. 
not just the quits not just the basic oh it's a giant sandworm on the overworld no you're fighting weird ass looking uh alien things that come out of glass tubes fantasy star 4 honestly it's just that freaking great you'd have you'd ha- you'll be enjoying anime cut scenes that describe a fantasy world like no other and a really good battle system that has everything from setting macros to make auto battling easier and then it has its own little dealie it has a combo system where if you mix the right skills together they make better skills for example uh the beginning characters of the game chaz owls and han if you use their three respective skills uh thunder foy and what it goes in it makes this super awesome skill that does triple the damage of what you would normally be doing the soundtrack is also really good and takes full advantage of the sega hardware it even has remixes from the first couple fantasy star games that came out all in all fantasy star 4 delivers a great story with cutscenes, I might add. A robust battle system, a soundtrack, and you will have fun for the 20-ish hours that you'll be playing the game. Anyone else have a chance to play 4? I have not played 4 yet. Um, I played 1 and I beat it. thought that was okay. Uh, I recently, uh, for the second time, tried Fantasy Star 2 and uh, Rage quit it. (laughs) (laughs) That that is actually a common complaint about to the dungeons in two oh my god oh it's horrible it's the and the difficult i mean it looks everyone complains about the difficulty of dragon warrior 2 on the nes like that makes it look easy it's like it seems like every dungeon is like a cave to roam or something like that it's just and then just little things like how even though it's like technically it would be realistic if you had the the ability to cast spells but how you can with when he casts a spell at a, at a monster, like that just, <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I just could not deal with it. So, so maybe I'll try. I was told to avoid three as well, so maybe I'll try four in the future. But two just put yeah. Bad taste I don't in my think mouth. I don't think Fantasy Star three was made by the same team that did the other ones. But don't, yeah, it was a it was a different team that did three. I found yeah. that out last year when I was a uh, yeah because two I. I it has been forever since I played Fantasy Star Four, and the only two things that I can remember about it off the top of my head is that a four takes place like like eight hundred years or something after the third game, so that they could get away from I guess Fantasy Star Three's whole story, since I guess it didn't have any you know it wasn't made by the same team, so they didn't want that much of a connection with it, I guess, and that the big baddie of the fourth one was a cult leader, the Black Magician, because it just sounded cool. (laughs) Uh, This, I'm not exactly spoiling things, but uh, Fantasy Star 3 and 4 actually take place concurrently. Oh, okay. And they are both set of... 1,000 years, I think it's exactly after Fantasy Star 2. Oh, the... okay. Okay. So it was... Fantasy Star 2 was 1,000 after that. Oh, okay. All right. I will tell you flat out that if you play 4, it tells you from the beginning demo reel the major event that happens in 2. To be quite basic, Fantasy Star 4 is set after a global apocalypse that happened 1,000 oh, years prior to the game. Okay. 
originally it was set in a planetary system of three planets orbiting a, orbiting a star. But uh, shit happens, and the second uh, and the first planet of the system is completely exploded into an asteroid belt. Now I don't have anything to surprise myself with, too, when I go back to it. <laughs> no, oh, John, don't go. You're going to blow up the asteroid to, belt. Thanks, no, Okay. Yep, great. I'm, it's, Better it's yet, I'm don't go back it. to it. It'll never happen. Yep. I actually do want to try and go back and finish, too. I got, I got pretty far into it. And even though it was super difficult, I was I was having fun, despite how frustrating it could be too. Really, what frustrated me more about uh, Fantasy Star Two was how cryptic it is how you get new party members. Because I didn't realize you always had to go back to the main character's house for a new person to show up after you've done certain events. Because I had like three people for the longest time, and I'm like, I feel like I should have a fourth party member by this point. Well, sure enough, I looked up online. Uh, you're supposed to go back to the main character's house, and after you do certain things different characters will offer to join you and you can that's where you change your party members then just like, uh-huh. the why do i have three party members for so long <laughs> don't feel bad it was the same way with me it's why i stopped playing two and then i looked it up maybe a couple weeks later and went back to it and then threw the controller at the wall anyway well, well i did <laughs> I, I did read that this game came with a pretty extensive guide uh when you bought it new so maybe it explained it in the guide because I think they anticipated how difficult it was going to be for people. So they had, uh, I read they had a pretty good guide. In it. Yeah. Could be. I, mean, I know that, it. I mean, some other RPGs back, you know, in the nineties came with that too. Like earthbound was one in particular where that game came with the full guidebook for the game. Uh, and it was, no. it's pretty well detailed. Man, dude, earthbound stinks. Literally. Oh, no, he's, he's quoting the, the, uh, advertisement slogan that they use for it <laughs> yep yep the actual box and i think the guide has a little s- scratch and sniff thing on it that smelled horrible yeah it, there were uh, trading cards that you could get from nintendo power that had those that would like have the barf smell and some other stuff from the game oh god i did it was not basically that. that card was supposed to emulate master barf from Earthbound, but we're getting off topic. That's super. That's very nice. Stick with, yep. stick with the Genesis. <laughs> I, I do. Okay. I do appreciate that uh, how Fantasy Star, you know, went away from the the traditional you know swords and sorcery medieval type D and D stuff that you usually saw and continue to see in a, a lot of RPGs. It was, it's nice that they went with uh, the futuristic background uh, for the games that other series like Star Ocean and stuff would do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fantasy Star 4 uh, kind of starts like a traditional fantasy, and then you go, oh my, what is that? Anyway, uh, if you oh. guys are ready, I did have one other game, and it's a quickie. Oh, but before you go on, remember what I said earlier about these old games not having standard pricing structures? Mm-hmm. Well, I just mm-hmm. looked up Fantasy Star 4, and it apparently retailed for just under $100 in Holy 1995. Geez. Holy shit. I know it had a higher megabyte count as far as the cartridge goes, but dang. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was common that our big RPGs like that would normally be, like, some of the most expensive games out there are new. Just like Dragon Warrior for the NES. Hmm. Well, see, you just need to get, and I'm just looking at this box art for it now, you just need to get Vector Man, because there was a, a play to win for $25,000. So yeah, I, I actually remember that. that. And there you go. <laughs> Could have bought all those super expensive Genesis games back in the day. <laughs> Lord. Anyway, you guys were talking about, uh, what's it called? Streets of Rage 2 and Golden Axe earlier. 
I have got the perfect game to go right along with them. Same year as Fantasy Star 4, Beyond Oasis was actually made by the same company, Ancient, that did Streets of Rage 2. They also did an 8-bit version of Sonic the Hedgehog that was on the Master System and Game Gear 2. Uh, the demo reel that starts the, the game off tells you everything. You are a prince of a small island nation named, oddly enough, Prince Ali, Ali Ababa, who has discovered a buried gold armlet on a little island that's off the big island. The game's MacGuffin, which belonged to an ancient wizard who waged a long war against the evil wielder of the twin to the armlet, a silver armlet. The silver armlet was used to create chaos and destruction, while the gold armlet had the power to summon four spirits, which is the one of the main course part of the game. When you sail back to the shore, you go to a small town that has the main characters, kind of teacher, mentor, whatever, and you are immediately beset by a group of soldiers and a giant ogre. This is where the game's combat system kicks in. It's very, very similar to Streets of Rage 2 in the fact that, uh, except this one, you can go up, down, left, and right. And it has uh, kicks, combos. Ali himself has a default weapon, which is a small dagger. During the course of the game, you also collect crossbows, swords, bombs, other items. One of the best weapons that you can get in the game is a crossbow that shoots bomb-tipped arrows. But beware, because the explosions can damage the player as well. And once you kick the crap out of the mercenary group that accosts you, you are immediately then pushed into the entire plot of the game, which is literally go find the four spirits. And then it goes from there. You'll find that the game has uh, also, they kind of copied it from Zelda. Well, shoot, they didn't just kind of, they did. Oh, yeah, this is, yeah. It has puzzles all over the place, hidden chambers. Uh, I'll give you a hint if you decide to play it anytime soon in the first real dungeon of the game. Uh, go underneath the waterfalls to find a, I think it's a 30 or 100 hit sword. Coincidentally, most of the weapons in the game have uh, durability. So you'll be carrying like a couple crossbows, a few of the swords you find, stuff like that. One of the, one of the things that uh, kind of carried on to other games, such as, uh, for example, I know Paper Mario has one. I don't know about a lot of other RPGs that has it, but uh, one of the little add-ons for the game that most people have a hard time finding are the mini-games, which range from a racing game where you uh, control the one of the optional party members which is one of the spirits and you have him race along a racetrack it also has a pit of a hundred trials where you literally go down a hundred floors 
getting and the prizes for that are various upgrades for your weapons, stuff like that. And an unlimited use, I'm pretty sure it's the crossbow that shoots bombs. Outside of that are the best sword in the game that's unlimited use. But uh, to me, I actually, Beyond Oasis is one of the few games I actually played on my original Genesis. And I have rather fond memories of it because I was doped up as hell when I played it. Because I broke my arm, oh, and my pa- my mom rented it for me on the way home. She's like, "I'm gonna rent you a game for a while. We can you can keep it a couple weeks until you beat it. Until you get back to school." Because I like had to have surgery on my hand. I broke my arm that bad. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I played the hell out of it, and I loved it to death. Uh, if you've ever played Alundra, I consider Alundra to be basically a spiritual successor to it, even though they uh, it's a different developer. Beyond Oasis actually has a sequel that's on the Sega Saturn called Legend of Oasis with more spirits. Ah, you want the other Genesis game, Landstalker, which was made by the same people who did Alundra. That's what you want. But yeah, no, this this is very much a... Uh, I remember this game. It reminded me a lot of Zelda when I played it, because I played a lot of Zelda on the NES, and then when I got this, this is one of the... Not the first games I rented, but... Because um, it didn't come out until... A few years later, it came out really late in the life cycle of the Genesis, if I remember right. And yeah, according it, to the Genesis mini thing, it says it came out in '95. Oh yeah, definitely. Then um, I just remember playing it and being like, "This could this could have been a Zelda game." That's that's all I remember thinking about it. <laughs> one one of the things that I really liked about it was. Uh, even though it was a fantasy game, they did a really, really good job on the actual artwork of all the enemies and everything else. It was just gorgeous. And then uh, the little voice clip when uh, Ali falls off a cliff, he goes, ah! He, they actually do the Wilhelm scream, and it <laughs> yeah, is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I ended up, I actually ended up doing that over and over next to us after I did a save just to listen to it. I think I was a little bit sadistic as a kid now that I think about it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I remember playing through this game uh, last year when I was. Uh, stuck at home for two months from work and i played on the genesis collection on my switch and i hate you know i had a lot of fun with it there were times where the game was like mm, i can't really figure out what to do and i had to unfortunately resort to looking things up online because i couldn't quite figure out what the game wanted me to do but i had fun uh playing through it regardless though like i enjoyed doing the little mini games you could find and i ended up finding that pit of 100 trials and getting the ultimate sword from it was really cool you know it was a nice reward for doing all that and I thought it was cool playing this game and finding out that uh, Koshiro, or Yuzo Koshiro, that not only did he do the music, but it was his company, um, Ancient, that were the ones that were responsible for the game. And funny enough, I found out actually a few years, it was either last year or a few years before, but, and you, this one, Platy might appreciate or not, but <laughs> uh, if you ever play Etrian Odyssey, and you ever use the Wildling class from Etrian Odyssey 3, whether it's in uh, the game Etrian Odyssey 3 itself or uh, use its portrait in Etrian Odyssey Nexus, uh, the adult male Wildling actually has the golden gauntlet that Prince Ali wears in his artwork. Huh. It's on his left arm, if I remember correctly, and if you switch over to the alternate portrait of the adult male uh, Wildling, he actually has the silver gauntlet instead that the villain uses in Beyond Oasis. So I thought that was a cool little... Uh, nod to Koshiro, not only because he does the music for Etrian Odyssey, but 
also, you know, a nod to Beyond Oasis. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, look at that. Uh, he even did the music menu for the Genesis Mini. Yep. Well, that's something you don't hear every day. So I know. Yeah, I thought kinda... that was a really cool little detail. It's like, oh, that's really cool they did that. They probably did that uh, for Koshiro. That was really cool. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Matt, you got anything else to uh, add for Beyond Oasis? Uh, beyond the fact that it's just a great game and everyone needs to play it. I actually prefer Beyond Oasis to Landstalker. I think that Landstalker's controls were really, really awkward. Whereas with Beyond Oasis going with the full top-down, it felt a lot more fluid and smooth. And then you're doing the Streets of Rage's combo, making Ali do the giant flip kick. And, well... Uh, it sounds a hell of a lot better than Ever Oasis. One of my <laughs> most hated I actually games I ever kind of enjoyed that. Platy, I think we could have a 30-minute conversation about why we didn't enjoy that game. Yep. I did, to be fair, I didn't get that far in it. I ended up back, what's it, uh, back, backlogging it. Mm -hmm. But that's a conversation for another day. That is, that is. We'll, we'll have to get in it games we should have an episode one time like games we just couldn't we finished but we didn't love oh there we go That'd make, be it, make it easy that'll that'll be our next year valentine's get day <laughs> <laughs> instead of indie loving it'd be like we didn't love it we did not love it we it broke our hearts out of spite it broke our hearts you tore my heart up <laughs> well with the end of this and uh since we're going wildly off topic into uh, future episodes that may or may not happen. I think it's back to get it's time to get back to Pendy and he has game number two that he wants to talk to you about. So uh, Pendy, what is the uh, second game that you would like to reminisce about tonight? So my second game that <laughs> I go over <laughs> just keep it going. I can't. Game two. <laughs> the game I'd like to talk about. <laughs> Which I enjoy. <laughs> we ruined it for him. Too, we did it. I broke Pendy. We broke him. Too, broke. too much. Too too many twos. It's too much. Now I'm going over. Uh, I'm going over Shining Force Two. That's the the next game I'm gonna go over. So, Shining Force Two uh, came out in Japan in October of 1993, and then a year later came out in North America in October of 1994. Uh, I've been playing. I'm actually playing it right now. I've been playing a direct port of it through the Sega Genesis Classics collection on the Switch, which, as a quick aside, uh, the collection has a very fun setup uh, that I thought was pretty cool. When you start the game, you are taken to a room with an old-school CRT TV with a shelf of all the Sega games that are included in the collection. And when you choose a game off the shelf, it gets inserted into a Sega Genesis that's below the TV. I, I, like, I think it's fun how they kind of set that up for the whole collections thing on the Switch. I don't know if there's other versions that do that, but it's, it's pretty fun. But anyways, I played the first Shining Force game years ago. I had a lot of fun with it, uh, but it wasn't until about a week ago I decided to take advantage of my currently quarantine condition and give the sequel a try. Uh, I've heard 2 is oftentimes considered the best one of the series, and I'm, I'm not surprised after playing most of this. Uh, the first one was fun, but I really love this sequel. It's a turn-based strategy RPG where you fight enemies on a grid like chess, a lot of these games uh, usually kind of have mission-based setups where, like, in between fights, you get some plot, 
and go through various menus to set up for the next fight. There might be a town, but usually it's kind of point and click to go to various places. Here, <clears throat> there's actually a town and world map exploration, just like you would see for any standard RPG. It's fun to see the setup as uh, so many strategy RPGs don't do this, especially these days. Um, I haven't quite beat the game yet, but I know I'm nearing the final area. I'm, I think I'm only like three or more, three or four more fights before I'm done. Uh, it's so much fun. The characters, the game mechanics, and the story are all very enjoyable. The humor in this game, in my opinion, is what really ties it all together. Uh, the game does not take itself too seriously. When you first start the game, there's this witch character that appears on screen, stating how she's put a spell on you and how you can't escape the spooky forest until you play the game. Uh, in the game, there's an instance very early on where there's a main character that eventually joins your party that almost dies, and someone remarks, oh, if he dies, it's okay. He's old anyway. Yeah, don't worry about him. <laughs> uh, the, the interactions between some of the characters could be very amusing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's dialogue, and this gets crazy sometimes. Uh, other fun parts of the game include you have the, uh, oh, my God, everything is collapsing. We need to get out scenario where you can just casually still explore around RPG drope that's in there. Uh, I put this in the chat for you guys to look at. Uh, the female centaur NPC, <clears throat> they, to me anyways, they look like they're wearing a maid outfit. I don't know if this is Japan being Japan or, or it just looks that way unintentionally. Have you guys had a chance to look at that picture and see if I'm like crazy or if it looks like a maid? costume <laughs> oh yeah no i can see where i can see where you see the main yep. dress yeah it looks like, like i don't know if that's, that she's wearing yeah i don't know if that's supposed to be armor and it unintentionally kind of looks like a maid outfit but it looks like <laughs> it looks like that so i don't know if that was you uh, do find a, a maid outfit in the game that's equipable to i believe the character chris oh well maybe maybe it is that Maybe it is. I wouldn't surprise me the way this game goes. Like there's a there's a scene where you where you recruit a character and you find her skinny dipping. So it gets a little crazy like that too sometimes. Uh, at one point you get miniaturized, you get really tiny, and you actually fight chess pieces on a board. So your party gets set up like a chess game, and it starts off that way too. Now the pieces do the pieces actually move like they're supposed to move on a, a chessboard? Not at all. But it's still it's it's a fun setup that they they do in the game. And it's kind of a, a good nod to how the gameplay is in general. Uh, there's an obvious Dragon Quest influence, I noticed, as you save, revive characters, and cure people in the church in this game, kind of like you do in Dragon Quest games. Uh, there are four difficulty levels, uh, which I thought was interesting, because you don't always see that. Uh, there's normal, hard, super, and ouch. Uh, literally, <laughs> it's ouch. I went with ouch in my current playthrough. That's uh, the difficulty level that I'm doing. And I thought it was interesting. I looked up that like super can actually be more difficult because it has uh, the characters actually have a, a larger damage component that for some reason they either forgot or decided not to do in the ouch difficulty level. So ouch uh, dif difficulty comes from the fact that the AI is supposed to be uh, the smartest of the bunch of the different difficulty levels, uh, how they target characters and things like that. But uh, I also liked how some of the boards forced you to come up with different strategies to win. It's not just sim simply like throw your army at the other army and like see who wins. Like for example, one boss fight surprises you in the middle of it with rock bomb type enemies that would appear out of nowhere during the fight. 
if you killed them, they would explode and give damage to any good guy or bad guy in the immediate area. But if you left them alone, they would try and chase you down and explode with the same results. So you had to come up with different strategies for things, crazy things like that. <clears throat> uh, for someone, I'm sorry, for some, uh, for some of the, uh, for some reason, the character animation goes crazy when you apply certain buff spells. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this scantily clad, well, somewhat scantily clad female monk character in the game. So when that happens, it looks like she's twerking, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> she's just kind of shaking all around. Uh, you do end up recruiting a lot of characters in this game, but they limit you to only uh, 12 fighting at one time. It, I don't know how many you get total, but you get a lot. Uh, so you get a lot to choose from. You'll end up with a vehicle that will allow you to swap people out between fights. Uh, each character has a class that you can promote starting at level 20. They have a natural upper class that you can promote to, and some have an optional special class if you can find the associated special item for it. My only real complaint about the game is that your character actually moves faster than the game camera, so you'll kind of slam into the side of the screen, not, not really seeing what's in front of you as the camera tries to keep up. It's not an action game, so it's not really important, but it's just mildly annoying at times. Other than that, it's one of the best RPGs I've ever played so far. It does everything so well. I wish I had played this sooner, but I wasn't a Sega kid uh, growing up, as I said before. So has anyone else played this game? I have played the series now. I actually played this and plenty of mods to go with it too back in the day. They oh, nice. even have a uh like how uh they have uh program programs made off ROM hacking where you can edit like Super Mario RPG and a couple of the things. They have one for Shining Force too. I made an easy mode mod once. That's really about it. Nice. I've never played any of the games from this series, but I do remember like one of the first times I really heard about it was back. Um, and I always seem to say this on like every podcast episode lately, but I heard about it through Nintendo Power <laughs> when they were doing a um, sort of a retrospective on tactical RPGs and strategy RPGs. And this was and Shining Force One and Two were actually two of the games that they recommended uh, if you're trying to look for some. Uh, you know, some retro ones or, you know, newer ones to try out. And I remember in the article, you know, it showed off a picture. It, they were specifically focusing on Shining Force 1, but they, I remember them mentioning, like, you know, if you can't play this one, Shining Force 2 is a good one to check out as well. Or if you can, try playing both. I'm sure you'll enjoy both uh, equally. But I remember that was one of the first times I heard about it. And like I like you, Pendy, I have like the Genesis collection. And on this Genesis Mini, the first Shining Force game is on it. And it's a series I've wanted to try out since I've come to like uh, strategy RPGs a bit more thanks to Fire Emblem, but it's just one that I haven't started playing yet. But I would definitely like to try playing one and two at some point, and that's for sure. Yeah, like if you like Fire Emblem type games, like this is the game for you. And it, I'm just, I was kind of amazed like how well they incorporated certain set strategies that you'd have to employ uh, in the different levels, which you know you don't always see. It, a lot of, yeah, a lot of turn-based strategy RPGs have this issue where it's like, ah, just. Here's your army, here's their army, go crazy and see what happens. They actually like put in some traps and stuff that you'd have to kind of think around to do. So I, I appreciated how they actually bothered to do that in this game. It was really, really nice. All right. Is we ready to move on to somebody else? Well, that sounds totally tubular. <laughs> I think we're going to go to you. And this is the last time I'll go with that fun <laughs> joke, whatever. But you've got a two in there, too. So, you know... This I do. It's your fault. You, I do. I have your fault another completely. Two. two for Tuesday, man. 
And funny enough, we are yeah. recording this on a Tuesday, so there we go. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and better yet, the game that I'm going to talk about next came out in 1992. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> it's all, it's all circle. it was meant to be. <laughs> Did it release on a Tuesday? I, I I'll have to look that one up, but well, okay. just for the sake of the joke, let's say sure it did. Of course it did. <laughs> Prove us wrong. Yes. Send in your send in your proof facts to our to Platy's Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Taco of Tuesday, as I remember. Yes. <laughs> okay, but um, for the other game, there want to be. <laughs> but for the other game that I wanted to talk about tonight, I decided to pick uh, Sonic the Hedgehog two. Now, spoiler alert, kind of like with um. Uh, Streets of Rage 2. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is a sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog 1. I know, shocking. You know, I already made this joke. I apologize, but I had to do it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came out um, about a year or so after the original one did. And for it being out only just a year later, it actually has a lot of big improvements, both on level design, overall balance and difficulty. It's kind of like the Streets of Rage comparison I made when I was talking about that, where, you know, first game, you know, it was good, but it had, you know, it definitely has its issues. But the second game, they really streamlined a lot of stuff and really improved uh, the overall package. Uh, so some of the big features with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, it features a brand new playable character in the form of Tails, who has become Sonic's uh, best friend and sidekick, and is a mechanic extraordinaire, especially in some of the later 3D Sonic games. Uh, you have your level designs, which, like I said a little bit ago, they were vastly improved. Uh, Sonic 1, I had played through that one before I tried diving into Sonic 2, and I found Sonic 1, for the most part, was okay, but it definitely did a back and forth where levels would be, you know, a little more straightforward with, you know, letting you get a lot of speed or trying out different paths, while the second, while the next set of levels would be more slower paced and, like, kind of maze-like almost. But with Sonic 2, I never felt that uh, sort of slowdown while playing, other than a few stages towards the end of the game, but it was a lot more, it was, it was a better balance, I would say, because for the most part, when you're playing Sonic 2, you have a lot more options for keeping up your speed. Uh, there's better paths that you can discover and different rewards you can find too. So replaying the game is actually a lot of fun because you can discover brand new things. Whereas with Sonic 1, I felt it was just a little bit more limited. Um, with Sonic 2, the bonus stages were also really improved a lot. Uh, instead of it just being this sort of trippy maze-like room where you had to try and break these crystals to reach the emeralds, uh, instead you just had to collect 50 rings in a particular um, stage. So, like, you could get two of the different Chaos Emeralds in the very first um, zone of Sonic, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in the two different levels for it. Uh, all you had to do then was just run around on this kind of 3D-esque area where you would move left and right to collect as many rings as you could before you know you reach the checkpoints and the end of the maze and i like to assume that this must have been what the fabled uh, blast processing of the genesis was used for to help make this 3d you know running down the corridor effect because we haven't really mentioned it but one of the big things that sega tried to push with the genesis back in the day was that the genesis had blast processing which was supposed to be you know the, the next big uh, thing for consoles but nobody ever really knew what the heck blast processing was. <laughs> um, I really enjoy this game as a whole. I think it, again, is a really big improvement over Sonic 1. It has some really good and really fun level designs, too. It's some really good music. But unfortunately, my biggest complaint with this game is when you get to the last 
uh, two boss fights of it because they are just a real pain in the butt. So when you get to the last stage, you're up in the sky, like far above the earth, and you have to fight these two final bosses back to back. Biggest problem is that there are no rings to collect, so you can get an extra hit, which is you know pretty common in a Sonic game. There, it's kind of like your you if you lose rings, if you, if you take a hit, you can collect them pretty quickly then, or you can at least collect like one or two to you know give yourself another hit just to be safe. But with these final bosses, there's no rings to collect in between either fight so you pretty much have to play perfectly in order to you know beat both of them and you know save the day and beat the game i'm thinking that maybe this was you know because this game was really trying to promote the two-player aspect because you know this player two could play as uh, tails or they could play a sonic the hedgehog depending on how you guys set up the uh, you know the character selection there and i'm thinking maybe it was designed that way because it wanted you to beat it with two people instead of just by yourself so i could be totally wrong it could be just speaking out of my butt here but i found it just playing single player that it was really difficult and i won't lie when i found out that I, there were no checkpoints uh between the first final boss and the second final boss i did make a save state for the start of the second final boss because i didn't want to have to redo the whole first part again <laughs> <laughs> but I really do enjoy Sonic the Hedgehog 2 overall, despite, you know, my gripes with that. And my personal preferred version is actually the Sega Ages version that you should be able to find on, like, the Switch. The I believe it's on PS4 and also on Steam. Uh, this one actually offers some neat extras, such as letting you use the Sonic and Knuckles add-on pack that originally was uh, released for the Sega Genesis and gave you some new stuff for Sonic 3. Well, it also gave you some new stuff for Sonic 2. And most importantly, it actually gave you the option to play as Knuckles for the entire game. And you got to use all his perks, like he can glide and he's a little more sturdy. He can easily dig through stuff, no problem. He can climb up walls. And uh, before I say my uh, last point here, do you guys have anything about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 or just like the Sonic Genesis games you want to talk about real quick? You know, going off of the Sega Smash Pack, they also had Sonic and Knuckles Collection for the PC. And even though I played it on the Genesis, like I even had played the lock-on cartridges and everything, that is actually when I beat Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and the other games was when I had it on the PC through that. And it's kind of funny. I was kind of an emo kid. I remember listening to system of a down on my computer while going through carnival night zone and the chemical plant zone i actually loved playing as knuckles and two it was just so fun mm -hmm. yeah, that's really fast. it on me <laughs> can't go fast <laughs> you're, you're slow I've played some of the Sonic games. They're pretty fun. Uh, I just want to add that, thank God, they changed the model for Sonic in the movie. That's a, that's a, my only contribution. <laughs> yeah, it's because of that movie that I ended up buying the Sonic collection, or not the Sonic collection, that Genesis collection that uh, uh, Yangus has been talking about. I think it was last year. Didn't that movie come out right as the pandemic hit or right before or something? Yeah, it was like uh, February or March. Of 2020, yeah, yeah, it was, it yeah, was, the kids, it was, yeah, a couple months before, I think. Yeah, and I remember the kids getting it, and uh, you know, it fell off the back of the internet, and we watched it on spring break a couple times, and the kids were like, "Oh, we want to play Sonic games. We want to play Sonic games." I don't think they'd ever heard of Sonic before because you know all we got is the Switch or whatnot, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Well, you know." I think there's a collection, and then it was not long after that Yangus is like, hey, well, you know, that collection's on sale, so I bought it, they gave Sonic the Hedgehog, like, 20 minutes, and was like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mommy bought Animal Crossings, and that was the end of that. Yeah, yeah, that was for Mommy, that's right. 
Keep yeah. telling us that, Platty. <laughs> so, you know. Animal but, Crossing ended up being the uh, cheaper game at, you know, 100 and some odd hours between my son and wife for the uh, $50 I spent compared to the 10 I spent on about one hour of Sonic, if that. <laughs> yeah, just... um. I will say just real quick, like uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, that Genesis collection we have mentioned a few times. Uh, Sega usually does have it on sale whenever they uh, have sales on the eShop, or I think it's also on the PS4 and Steam and stuff. And you know, it, you know, if you can get it for like ten, fifteen bucks, like we did, it's it's well worth picking up. It's it's a nice little collection. And uh, but anyway. Do you have anything to say about Sonic Brewerian before I, I, I share my last little thing here? Brewerian, hello! Did we choose the Brewerian? I think we might have. It would help if I'm not muted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that there usually... He lives! Been there, done that. Yeah, so... No, I remember what the exact release date for um, Sonic 2 was because it was a cheat code in the game. So I'll, I'll always remember it because you after you put in the level select code... You go in and, and, and put in one one two six or one one two four one nine nine two, which was the date of the game, November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two. That was the release date for it. Hmm. Um, I do remember that it was one of the only games that Sega Japan and Sega of America worked on together, because it was Mark Cerny of the Sega Institute or the Sega Technical Institute and Yuji Naka work together with an American and a Japanese team nice. to create. They disbanded They They kind of disbanded into two separate teams inside that development studio after this game because they couldn't work together very well. Hmm. well there we go. Poor Yuji Naka was having troubles even back then with his games. <laughs> Never forget this Alan Wonderworld, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Thank you, well, Brian, for confirming something for us because November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, was a Tuesday. <laughs> oh, was it really? Oh my god! Yes, it was. <laughs> so, so many. You get a gold so star. Long. The cycle is complete. <laughs> the cycle of twos, man. <laughs> yeah. They say it comes. Um, in, they said that stuff comes in threes. Well, tonight it's coming in twos, baby. So this was my everything showing up twos. This was my pack-in game. When I got my Genesis, so I played this one a metric ton because I it, it was I didn't have another game for a while, so mm-hmm. I know Sonic Two like the back of my hand. It is it is ridiculous. I can I can probably play through that game without having to. Uh, I could probably do it through proxy to be honest. I've done it with my with my nephew who is really into Sonic <laughs> right now, and he'll like he'll his he'll have my sister call me and ask for stuff and i just i can just picture he's just like how do i do this thing and i go all right go go to this level in this zone and go to this section and do this thing and it's like it's just so burned into my memory that's awesome <laughs> um so uh yeah so before we uh, move on like like i have in the notes here for the show notes i actually found out something kind of cool when i was doing some research on sonic 2 just to you know kind of confirm some things before uh we talked about uh, the game tonight and one of those things I found out was that there's actually, you know, quite a lot of characters from it that draw the interest of a certain fan group online. So I decided, you know, we haven't done this for a while. I think we need to have ourselves another surprise round of Mary Thwack Puff Puff, gentlemen. And Ooh, guess yay! what it's going to be over. I put the picture Star in Trek, the Star Trek, Star I Trek, Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> I put the picture in the group chat and for those of you at home uh you'll probably see it on the youtube version but what we're going to be doing is a merry thwack puff puff for amy 
Rouge the Bat and Dr. Eggman from Sonic. Robot, if it's Sonic 2, it's Robotnik. Well, I was actually going to, I was going to call him Dr. Eggman, the man who can't decide his name, but you know, <laughs> that's a little too long of a name. So, so uh, let's start with Matcraft. Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to swag? And who are you going to puff puff? Okay, let's see. I'm going to marry Dr. Eggman because that man is very smart. He's going to figure out a way to save everyone from the from everything, even though he's evil. He's out for himself. So from from the everything that he's causing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would puff puff Rouge because at the very least she has the proper aesthetics. And I would just crack I would thwack <laughs> Amy that annoying little bleh. I have very unfond memories of Sonic C D trying to save her kidnapped ass. She can go thwack. <laughs> thwack. <laughs> okay. Pendy, you're the next contestant. Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to thwack? And who are you going to puff puff? <laughs> so I think I would uh, do puff puff from Rouge. I'd probably marry Amy, which means I would have to thwack uh, Dr. Eggman. Though if it was Jim Carrey, Dr. Eggman, that would be that'd be difficult to do. But I'd, I'd have to do it for the good of humanity. <laughs> All right. Who should we pick next? I think we need to go with Barurian. Let's hear from you, buddy. Can I just puff puff them all? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not how it's playing. <laughs> I'll marry Rouge because she'll treat me right. I'll puff puff Amy. She looks like she knows how to have a good time, so I'll thwack Dr. Eggman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll save myself from answering because that's exactly what I would have done. I'm going to go with Rouge, man. I mean... <laughs> Might as well marry her. Well, for one, she knows how to get lots of money. That's true. And from what little I know about um, her character, like, she is a government agent, so she probably gets money even without, you know, stealing stuff. So, hey, there you go. She's got a top-ranking job, and she knows how to kick some ass. <laughs> All right, that just leaves you now, Mr. Platty. Who are you going to marry? Well, who are you going to thwack? And who are you going to puff puff? Far be it for me from disagreeing with the uh, last two of you, so I will, I, I will agree, but I'll have to put my own spin on it because... God damn it, I can't stand mustaches, so whack Eggman. <laughs> Peace out, dude. Like, no, no, the, the, the mustache is too much. And redheads is also another no-no, so I will take the puff puff, but then leave that Amy aside. So uh, <laughs> while, while, as Matt Craft so aptly put it, you know, the, uh, and now I've already forgot what he said, the aesthetics, the aesthetics will keep me with Rouge uh, through marriage. The other two are... Uh, They've got some no-nos on my list to begin with, so yeah, we'll, uh, I'll agree with uh, Brewery and, and you, Yangus. Yeah, because, see, you got to think about it. With Rouge, you're getting huge tracts of land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you're getting, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> um, gotta pop off fast. Nah, <laughs> man, it's I that, it's that sultry voice. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? It's that sultry voice. <laughs> I will give a, a quick little thank you to uh, Woodis for helping me put this together and helping me keep it on the down low. So <laughs> figured we needed a little surprise with tonight's episode since yeah. <laughs> since, since Matt wrote up that or uh, excuse me since Platty wrote up that whole Star Trek opening there. I was like, you know what? We need to do something a little crazy too. 
<laughs> Go back to the Star Trek episode where you dropped in with that one, too. Yep. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. <laughs> well, you ruined my transition, so let me remind <laughs> listeners. I'm sorry. About about seven minutes ago, Burian was talking about how Sonic 2 was burned into his memory so clearly. So I'm going to call Burian up to do his next game, which is hopefully burned into his memory. There, I got my transition in, damn it. <laughs> this game this game is super burned into my memory because it was one of, one of the last Genesis games that I got. Because I think I got a Super Nintendo not too long after it, but um, I had uh, I had lost most of my other Genesis games up to this point. So I had this one in Sonic 2 and and one of the asterisks Asterix games uh, on the Genesis. But this one is Comic Zone, and Comic Zone was. Uh, released in August of 95. It was developed by previously mentioned Sega Technical Institute founded by Mr. Mark Cerny of Atari Legend. Um, This was one of the last games that they did under the Sega Technical Institute brand before, I guess, that development group went defunct. Um, I remember picking this one up with a... I, I, like a media play gift card that I had. And it was really cool because when you bought the game, it came with a soundtrack for the game. But the soundtrack for the game, you would think, oh, it's going to be the music from inside the game. It was music inspired by the game. So it was all of this weird early 90s um, kind of grunge and alternative like rock music. At the time, I just I could not appreciate it because I remember listening <laughs> to it a bunch and just being like, what is this? This sounds nothing like what's in the game. But one of the neatest things about it that uh, I had not seen with another game up until this point is when you pull the manual out, the ma- the first half of the manual is a comic book. It's a, it's a black and white comic book that is drawn by the main character of the game, Sketch Turner. And it is about his comic book world of the New World Order. I think that's what it was called. Uh, the New World Empire is what it was called. And basically just a little bit of an origin story on how it leads into what the video game is. So basically you've got your general of the New World Empire army, Alyssa Cyan. She has her one of her counterparts killed in battle from the mutants that are wreaking havoc on the United States. Because in 1998, a meteor crashed into New York and ended civilization as we know it. Um, the survivors of the world engaged in er, petty squabbles and battles for the land, kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of uh, setting. And um, it's said very early on in the manual that you, as the main character, Sketch Turner, had these weird nightmares about this story, so you decided to draw a comic book about it. Well, one night, when you're in your warehouse loft in New York City in the mid-90s, a lightning storm is raging on outside. And a lightning bolt strikes through your window and hits the page of your comic book. And this is in an like an opening kind of cutscene for it. Um, when that happens, a hand emerges from outside of the comic book and like grabs Sketch by the throat. And it is the big bad villain of his comic book, Mortis. And he basically says to Sketch, I'm going to throw you into the comic book world. And if you die there, I become real in the real world. He'll gain uh, flesh and bone and everything. 
once inside the game, once Sketch is thrown inside the game, he meets one of the characters he created previously mentioned, Alyssa Cyan. She thinks he is the chosen one who is to defeat Mortis. So the game is a basic beat-em-up style game, uh, but what's really cool about it is in the manual, you've got like 30 different moves that you can do with Sketch, like jump kicks, uh, all kinds of neat kick flips. Um, I don't think I could explain it all without taking up a few minutes, but basically you have an arsenal of moves at your disposal. Um, what's really cool about it is as you uh, progress through the stages, you kind of jump from panel to panel. So you'll see the little white border of the comic book panel for each uh, panel that you're in, and he'll just kind of jump over the little white border into the next one. And when he does this, you'll see Mortis's hand kind of come down onto the screen and draw enemies onto the comic book panel that you have to fight because he's trying to kill you. Uh, the game itself is comprised of about six stages across three total chapters. And what I really liked about this game is that it had a lot of replayability because each stage can have multiple paths in it. So if you went one way one time, you can go another way another time and kind of have a little bit of a, a different split in gameplay. Now, on top of your kind of arsenal of moves, you also had items that you could use, such as throwing knives, dynamite, grenades. You even have a pet rat called Roadkill that gets pulled into the comic book world with you, and you can put him down on the ground, and he can do simple actions like if there's a switch in the panel that needs to be uh, turned, he can go up to it and pull the switch and come back to you and you can pick him back up. And then there's even one screen clearing item called the superhero fist where you basically turn into like a roided up um, Rob Leefield styled character and you slam your fist into the ground and it tears the comic book page as it destroys everything on screen. Um, this is a decidedly hard game. Um, once you take any sort of damage with it, your health bar starts draining every time you make an attack. So, and these are this only counts if attacks hit. So, if you if you hit an enemy and he blocks, or you hit him, you're and you've already taken damage, your health bar just kind of slowly but subtly drains up to a certain point until you have like five percent of health left. The only way to fix this is to drink the one health restore item in the game, which is a literal bottle of tea, or just not take damage ever, which is kind of hard to do. This game is very hard. I think I think out of the dozens and dozens and dozens of time I played it, I can only count on one hand how many times I actually beat the game. Um, yeah, this game is definitely really hard, just to jump in real quick, Brewery, and I've, oh, yeah. I've, tried, I've tried playing this one before, and oh my gosh... Like I was, you know, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I know older games are going to be a little more difficult, but man, I was not expecting that when you die that you're, you're pretty much, that's it. Like there's so no, it's, it's really weird or anything. It's, it's really, really weird because you, two things can happen. I have died on the first stage before and you get a second try because there is like no life system here. You fall down. I guess if you don't, there, there must be some pre-existing conditions for it. I've never been able to figure it out, but Sometimes if you fall down a pit or lose all your health and die or something like that, it'll go out to Mortis, who is kind of hovering over – not hovering, but he's sitting at the comic book table with pen in hand, and he'll either just be like, ah, yes, you're now dead. I'm becoming real, and you get the bad ending for the game, or it'll do the same thing, and he zooms out, and he goes, that wasn't worth it. I'm going to give you another chance, and you get to – you know, you get like one more try at it before you get an actual game over, so it is uh, – 
it is very tough. And those enemies, a lot of those enemies are incredibly hard to beat. Like, I, once you get into the later levels and, and you've got all sorts of uh, stage hazards that can hurt you badly if you're not careful, um, enemies have a lot of different attack patterns as well. Like, I've played through the game before and seen specific enemies do never do certain things I know that they can do, so... You're definitely in for a treat on replayability for this game. It's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, it even has two endings, so you can, uh, as well as taking different paths in different stages, you can get one of two endings: the good one or the bad one. And the bad one is not you die and Mortis becomes real. I so I guess there's technically three endings. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I remember enjoying playing it when I did, but man, I just was not expecting it to just be you know so like. Well, or in language, but flick, but flicking the dick difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It is, uh, it's de- it's definitely yeah. So, uh, for for me, every time I go through the first stage, I I know where, I know where all the items in this game are, and I know uh, like where to utilize them. So, like the screen clearing attack, I you can get two of those in the first stage. I save them for the boss, and I use them immediately, and it almost always kills him. But. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty fun game otherwise. The only gripe that I had about it is if you play on a three-button controller, you have your items, and you can only hold three of them at one time. And you had to do a button combo to, to select which item you wanted to use. But if you had one of those fancy six-button Genesis controllers, you could just use the X, Y, or Z button to, to use the item individually. Oh. You know, I haven't played this game, but uh, from looking at YouTube footage of it, it looks really... Uh creatively well done and unique especially for its time so it is it is definitely one of the better looking sega genesis games out there and i i'll be honest as much as i played the sega genesis and everything i actually don't care for the system all that much comparatively like i the the, the games can look better graphically i do not like the sega genesis sound chip it sounds like a farty mess half the time <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's more or less it for uh, Comic Zone. Um, you guys should uh, try to play it to completion, even if you have to save save state it. It's a it's a lot of fun. It's it it's, it's only six stages, but the the stages are just long enough that it it just feels really difficult. Mm-hmm. Huh? Well, you know, you answered my question then. How long exactly the game was? So yeah, it's um, there's there's uh there's even I don't think there's. I think there's like one cheat code for the game, and it might be a level select. So you could you could go that path if you just want to see the ending. Yeah. There was also a, a fun little thing that you could do at the cost of a lot of health is if you sit on any panel screen and you hold down the attack button, what Sketch does is he'll grab at the backdrop and he'll 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 rip part of it out and he'll make a paper airplane. And he'll throw the paper airplane and whatever that airplane touches immediately kills. But if it flies back and hits you, it depletes half your health. <laughs> nice. Oh, funny. Yeah. But it drains your health, too. It drains like a quarter of your health just to just to do it. Oh. Yeah, I remember having a really cool art style, too. And I liked that, you know, you jump between the different panels of the comic book. And like you say, like, I thought it was a cool effect that the giant hand from Mortis will, like, pop up and draw new enemies or, like, draw stuff in to try and hinder your progress. Little details like that I thought were really neat about the game. That's Yeah, it was very kind of fourth wall breaking in that in that sense mm-hmm. uh, that, that I really liked. Nice, nice. Uh, I had to see a lot of walls in my next game. Uh don't remember breaking any of them, though. Uh, I was kind of quiet when you guys earlier 
tonight talked about Fantasy Star 4 because, I, like I said, I it, like most of you, I haven't played anything on the actual Sega Genesis. But then also, I've very rarely gone back and played any Sega Genesis stuff. Just, <laughs> I, I'm not one for beat-em-ups. And there were a lot of beat-em-ups on the, on the Genesis. There were a lot yeah. of them. <laughs> and yeah, I just never, never been into beat-em-ups or platformers too much. So, I went with a RPG and uh, Matt Craft got ahead of me there on Fantasy Star 4, which is something I'd like to uh, one day play, definitely. And now that I have it on my Switch, I really have no excuse not to. But back in the day, they put Fantasy Star 1, 2, and 3 all on one GBA cart. Did they? Yes, Man, they did. I must, I must have missed that. Yep, and it was, I want to say, the summer of 2004 that I was just looking for stuff. This was before... Uh, PS2 came out. I never really did much on the PS1. Do not enjoy PS1 graphics at all. Uh, other than Grandia and Dragon Warrior 7, can't really think, recall anything I actually beat on my good old uh, PS1 that I had for a short period. But I did play the GBA to hell and back like every summer, especially at this point, because I was married to someone making good money. I was home alone most of the time because they worked weekends and it was like summertime. So I had weeks, 12 weeks at a time, just completely off. So I streamed hundreds of episodes of every show I could find and played a lot on my GBA because that was the uh, handheld of choice back then. And I did manage to beat Fantasy Star 1. Uh, don't remember much about it except for it was uh, like a dungeon crawler, right? The first person point of view. Yeah. And I'm 99% sure I probably sat next to my computer where I watched a lot of TV on the computer and had uh, maps open all the time because, man, it wasn't short... It wasn't too long after that. Actually, Yangus, when did a Etrian Odyssey 1 come out? Uh, that was 2008. Nope. So at, least, at least over probably, here in the States it was. Okay, so it was a few years later, and I remember following. There was one guy who just made all these great maps for Etrian Odyssey. Um, got me through some hard parts. But there was a lot of good maps. Obviously, this game had been out for like 20 years almost at that point. Well, 10 years. 15 2014, 2004, whatever. But there was a lot of good maps online for Fantasy Star 1. And I beat it. I enjoyed it. I was like, okay, that was pretty good. And kind of like what you guys said, I gave up somewhere along the lines of number two. Uh, number three, I made it through a generation, maybe even... I know I got to generation two. I might have even made it to the third generation because that game involved some uh, generational hijinks. Um, you got to pick who you wanted to match up for the second generation and then again for the third uh it, it was okay enough that i did that but never finished that off either um and you know I, I don't have huge memories from these but i can tell you back then anything i started up i played it and beat it because i had eight hours a day to just sit around and not do much more than this especially over the summertime so the fact that i didn't do that for two and three eh, <laughs> kind of reminds me of like yeah they weren't all that great but uh, Matt Craft here and you talk about four. That is definitely one that I've always been like, you know, that was the one that they didn't put on the GBA. And at the time, they had, I think there was like a Sega Saturn collection with all four of them out on it. And it's weird how these things get packages packaged together or not packaged together because 
I believe there was a one through three on something for PS4, maybe one Genesis collection, and then you know, the most gen- recent Genesis. There's a Genesis collection on the PS4. I picked I picked it up just so I could play the mm-hmm. Fantasy Star games. Yeah, yeah does it have has- all four of them on it? I don't know if it does or not. I know it has two, three, and four because I remember in previous iterations of the Genesis collection, one was like a a, a locked game that you had to unlock. But I don't know mm-hmm. if that's it's in. It doesn't matter. I've got I bought <laughs> yeah. Fantasy Star one on my Wii ten years ago. So yeah, I bought um about the Sega Ages version of Fantasy Star one after uh, playing the Genesis collection on my Switch last year and. Like, I, would, I think I, I think I bought um, the Sega Ages version wait. of one for like five bucks or something. So is it? Is yeah. it? I know that Fantasy Star One is that really weird one to where for some reason they almost never include it in any of the iterations of these yeah. things because yeah, it's not in the one for the Switch. Yeah, it's got two, three, and four. So then it must not be in the PS4 one because I think those two are the same release. So mm-hmm. I was Fantasy did it get... Star One actually came out on the Master System. That's yeah, why that's it's the not big thing included. too. Ah, yeah. uh, that would explain it. Ah, uh, yeah. okay, that's why so I looked I it think up. There that's why there is I had to a separate. Cause I'm like, why is this not in the collection? There is a Sega Ages version that you can get on the Switch, and you can also buy it on the PC for like four or five bucks, and okay. mobile, on mobile phones too. I, I knew there was, and there we go, Matt Craft, and with the reason. I was going to say, like, I remember the GBA didn't have four, and then, I mean, I haven't even really thought much about the series in 15 years, but hearing when it got came out a couple years ago and people on podcasts were like, yeah, this one doesn't have number one in it, but you can get one, you know, it's out there. There's plenty of other ways, too. Oh, yeah, it is. Eight, <laughs> bucks, on, eight bucks on the Switch. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those That's things awesome. that if Sega puts it on sale with their other stuff it's probably gonna be like four or five bucks so i remember getting it about 50 percent off so i guess the rest of them are on the genesis collection you said yeah, yeah. they're on the okay. collection yeah. okay. all right cool oh, i may have but to get this up on my switch i think i got it for like maybe 10 bucks maybe 12 does it no go no I'm, I'm, ta- I'm talking the, the sega ages fantasy oh, star yeah, i already got ages yeah the ages got, one by uh, itself is like normally it's eight but if you get it on sale it can be like four or five bucks I've got the Genesis collection on my PS4, so I, I think I got oh, yeah. ten bucks or something. So yeah, 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 yeah you should is... be able to buy that Ages version on the PS4 as well, because I think Sega has them on there too. Oh, so. Okay. When you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, hey, we'll sell you this one game for eight bucks, but we'll give you two, three, and four plus like twenty other games for a couple dollars more. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the epitome of a ninety-nine cent game. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At this, at this, in this day and age, because you're gonna pay. So for the unsuspecting person who goes, I've heard great things about Fantasy Star. I think I'm gonna give it a try. And they drop eight dollars on it, and they boot it up, and they go, "Whoa, <laughs> this is very archaic." Yeah. To be uh-huh. fair, like I looked up with the Sega Ages version, like a lot of those games that Sega's done that for. They have included a lot of you know quality of life features to them, so okay. that's probably why I think there's a mapping feature separate. in that one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so there, there is a mapping thing for it. Yeah, so if I remember, like if I remember in Fantasy Star One, it, it 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 had the old problem that a lot of early RPGs had of if you had a group of enemies and you target one of them and it dies, everybody else whiffs at where that dead one oh. was. Oh no. <laughs> And plus, it has oh, a first-person dungeon uh, setup that the other future games don't have. <laughs> As we learned, Pendy does not like first-person dungeons. <laughs> oh, I got through it with There's China Force One. Nothing wrong with first-person dungeons. No, it's just personal preference. I just, I, it's not yeah. a fun, fun Under- time for me. 
Understandable. No, that's fine. I just I I only bring this up just because um, it was funny. One of his reactions that Pendy had when I mentioned another series, he's like, "No, they're all like that." No. Let me go to Australian. I used to yeah, and I, I used funny. the Sandra Bullock running away uh, GIF. Yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah. pretty like, funny. What? It's what? Oh no, no, no! Running, running, nope, running nope, now! No, no, no! Run away! So yeah, I, no real specific memories, but th- that is that is the other only time I've dipped into anything uh, related to Genesis. And great, now Matt Craft, you tell me that didn't come out in Genesis. I mean, it was there, but <laughs> not originally. Nope. So here I, on on my Game Boy Advance, my other game is a game that was not on Genesis originally. Plus. <laughs> So, just a little extra. Just a little extra. I, I did. So I did a great job on this episode. <laughs> Platty does. Just give us a dad joke already, and that'll make. It I got great. one for you. Two guys walked into a bar. The third one ducked. But I'm bummed. I did not. I did not get hit with the uh, worst games here. But then again, nobody did because we all talked about our favorite ones. So these were all pretty good times. Any last memories? Before we uh, sign off, um, I guess just to give it a little bit of a unofficial plug, if you can find uh, the Genesis Mini at um, like Best Buy or Walmart or wherever you happen to go for electronic stuff, uh, the Genesis Mini is pretty worth picking up, if, especially if you're you know wanting to check out like the Genesis library and you know you want a nice little package to have it all in one in one place. Um, like I said, I didn't really grow up with the system at all, so. My like when I found out that they were making this Genesis Mini, I thought it was a really cool idea for another little plug-and-play system. And unlike some of the other ones that Sega had released, where you know a third-party company took over for it and they were kind of a shoddy product, um, the yeah. Genesis Mini was one that they made in-house at Sega, and it has a lot of really good quality. It's it's a very solid quality product. Like it's nice. like why I compare it to like the Genesis or excuse me to the Super Nintendo Mini or the uh, NES Mini. Like, it's, you know, it's a very, you know, well-made machine. It's got a great selection of games. So, you know, if you got to pay, like, like I when I originally bought it and when it came out, it was, like, I think 70 or $80. And, you know, even though that is, a, you know, probably some people might be a little pricey, like, I totally consider it worth getting it. Because, like, last time I saw it, it was, like, 50 or 60 bucks in store. So if you can find it, then it's, it's well worth getting. I really have enjoyed checking out the games on it and, you know, giving me a chance to experience more of the Genesis library than you know what you might find on certain collections nowadays and I think there's I think you can mod it too so you can get some other games on it as well so hey if you you know you, you want to get into the modding scene and add some other Genesis games that you remember loving as a kid then you can probably get it on little um, Genesis mini pretty easily but yeah, the, it's 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 they're pretty nice now they're uh, that, that whole mini market is a miss for me because all the ones that they've released so far, I own the system, and I have a majority of the games that were originally released on it. So it's there's no point in me paying eighty bucks for a Genesis Mini when I can, mm-hmm. when I own most of the games that's on it. The yeah. only one that the only one that I regret, the only Genesis game that I regret, is that we did not get Mega Man: The Wily Wars over here back when it was out because I just dropped eighty bucks to get <laughs> that limited run games version of it. Whew. Yep. <laughs> But, um, yeah, you know, I remember when the Genesis Mini was coming out, too, that I saw some people being like, well, you know, this is more for, you know, the retro market. You know, people who grew up with the system want a new way to experience it. And when I'm looking at that, maybe it's just because I like checking out older stuff or, 
just you know that i i don't really know but when i saw that i'm like well you know i'm kind of one of those people that you know i didn't get a chance to grow up with it so i really want to check it out you know get a chance to experience it for myself and that's what i was gonna sorry i was gonna yeah that's what i was gonna say is because like you know a lot of this uh in this in this podcast like we grew up as nintendo kids uh and we experienced old school games it just doesn't didn't happen to be a lot of sega games so it's very worth well worth your while that if you especially if you grow up on retro games and you never really got to experience the sega genesis you should you know there's lots of it has a great library that you can check out and a lot of good games whether you like rpgs or beat-em-ups or whatever yeah and a, a lot of these games don't have modern counterparts like a lot of nintendo games w- will so it's it really is a nice dip into the past mm-hmm. but yeah um i guess the only other thing i'll say real quick uh one of the games that i did want to talk about but changed my mind on was uh gunstar heroes if you've ever you know see this game on a collection or you just like oh yeah i don't i don't know if it's by itself on steam or not or whatever but gunstar heroes is. is a pretty fun arcade game or, or arcade inspired game to pick up and play because the nice thing is that you have unlimited continues and you can you know set your difficulty it's actually a game too that helped inspire uh, cuphead which we talked about a few episodes ago in our indie episode and after playing cuphead and playing the game that you know sort of helped inspire and you know shape what cuphead eventually became it was really cool to see a lot of the nods to it like biggest one that comes to my mind is when you go to the uh, black fortress stage as one of your options in Gunstar Heroes, it actually has a dice game that you have to play. And funny enough, they included a dice game in Cuphead as a bit of a tribute to Gunstar Heroes. So that was pretty neat. But there's there's a lot of fun Sega games to check out for the Genesis. And I'm sure, you know, you guys all have other ones that you thought up to that we just... And it's, it's hard, for me, it was hard to pick just two for tonight, I'll be honest. <laughs> hey, if you want to play Gunstar Heroes, it's a dollar on Steam. It is 99 cents. There you go. Go spend the dollar and go play it. It's a fun time, and it's two players. So hey, get a boy with you, or play with Parsec, or however you can do it. And there you go. Or pay ten dollars <laughs> and get fifty-three Sega Genesis games. <laughs> or emulate. Do do what makes you do what makes you feel happy. Yep. You have a good time with Gunstar Heroes, though. I will. It's I will vouch fun. for that game very much. <laughs> I loved. It. I loved the sequel for it on the Game Boy Advance. It was a lot of fun. All right, we're back to. Talking extra games and Game Boy Advance. Well, I brought that up too, so you know. Sure. Oh, you're on me. We learned it from you, Platty. <laughs> yeah. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> so basically, uh, what we've come to the conclusion, unless you're Brewerian or a little bit of Matcraft, uh, there is no such thing as a Sega Genesis, but there are plenty of ways to still experience those games. However you like. There might as well not even be a Sega Genesis. There might just be the games. Because you can get them all just about anywhere. Yeah, seriously. Pick up a Game Boy Advance version of the not Sega Genesis version of Fantasy Star 1. Put it on your hacked 3DS and uh, with the GBA emulator, go to town. There you go. There you go. It'll be there for you. Yep. But lots of, lots of, I will give Sega credit too that there are lots of different ways to play their old, retro, you know, these uh, Genesis games, you know, both legally and illegally. But, <laughs> but you we know, we give them all the credit for the illegal versions. Good job, Sega. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Congratulations. <laughs> well, 
congratulations to us because we have made it to the end. This is it for the episode of Slime Time Side Quest. Definitely want to thank Brewery and Matt Craft and Pandy for joining us thank to you. talk about our favorite games here from uh, the not SNES era. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we definitely had. The nice thing is, too, we did cover quite a few uh, different genres of games as well tonight. So, you know, get a, get a nice variety for you folks at home then for different games to check out then. And it was fun talking about all the different ones, too, with you guys. Always. Remember, kids, Sega does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> yeah and uh speaking of things that we don't do uh on our podcast we don't mention patreon except when we say we don't use it so uh we're just all longtime fans here that want to talk about topics games tv shows whatever we know and love so much um if you're so inclined and you have some money you would like to donate consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudis.com slash den and click on support this site. Wudis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den for almost 20 years. I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation or you could use his Amazon affiliate links, make any purchases, um, get one of the 7 million console versions of uh, Dragon Quest 11s. It's out there on almost as many systems now as Fantasy Star 1. Uh, there's still some 3DS games out there he's got links to, Dragon Quest Monsters books and the such, and no skin off your back, no coins out of your pocket, uh, just a fraction of the sale price will go to support the den. Mm -hmm. uh, if you would like to message us or contact us to give us some uh, ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. You can contact Platty via his Twitter account, Platty M3, or you can contact him via the Dragon's Den or via the Dragon's Den Discord. Uh, you can also contact me, Genghis the Legendary Bandit, at the Dragon's Den or the Dragon's Den Discord as well. Uh, we have a list there full of ideas, and as you heard us talk about earlier, we had an idea, a spontaneous idea for a future episode. And we have a list of other ideas that we'd love to talk about or possibly revisit if we get enough interest. So if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear from you one way or another. And uh, we hope that you enjoy kind of these. Uh, this is the part is a little unscripted here, but we hope you enjoy these episodes where we kind of talk about different uh, games that we enjoy. And hopefully it gives you kind of inspires you guys who listen to us to, you know, check these games out for yourself one way or another. Exactly. All right. Bye, everyone. I got See you later. Sound quest complete for summer!